Welcome, everybody. Good to see you. My name is Tim Harris. I'm pastor here at Woodburn Baptist Church and delighted to welcome you. Open your Bibles to the book of Malachi. If you're in Logan County, it's Malachi, I guess, uh, for you Logan County friends. Malachi, the very last book in the Old Testament, book of Malachi. Let's take a look at that today. Starting a new message series entitled For Worse. And talk about marriage for worse. Proverbs 25:20 says, "Singing cheerful songs to a person with a heavy heart is like taking their coat in winter or pouring vinegar in their wounds." Singing happy songs, cheerful songs to a person with a heavy heart is like taking their coat in winter, it's cold. Taking their coat in winter or pouring vinegar in their wounds. I've been preaching marriage series for 20 years, uh, not every year, but about every other year, every two or three years, I'll do a marriage series, Lord willing. And uh, I'm concerned that sometimes my preaching on marriage has been like singing cheerful songs to people with heavy hearts. Because I don't think I've often taken into account how very, very difficult marriage is for many of us. Now, I know firsthand, I've been married nearly 30 years, I I know that marriage is hard. And it's not just hard. It's not always hard because two people can't get along. Lots of times the issue is not that you and your spouse don't love each other or that you can't get along. There are definitely problems that can arise from within a marriage. But for many of us, the problems actually come from outside the marriage. It's, it's, it's circumstances. It's problems. It's um, disappointments that we had no control over. But those things can become a wedge that drive us apart. Marriage is just hard. Paul himself says that marriage deepens all of the daily troubles of this life, and, 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 and it's true. But sometimes in our preaching, the biblical ideal of marriage, we don't seem to take enough into account the fact that people want that. They strive for that. They long for that biblical ideal. They just don't have that. And what is the word for people who are caught in a marriage that is far, far below the ideal? It's, it's the purpose behind this coming series for for, for worse. I know that when you got married, uh, you probably made the same vows that all of us make, and that would be in sickness and in health, richer for poor, for better, for worse. I stand on this very altar with couples all the time. We have a lot of weddings next year, and I love weddings. Uh, funny thing is, when two people get married, it seems like they often just expect that, that, that having a wedding will somehow make permanent all of those feelings that you have when you're dating, all of those, uh, that, that lusty obsession with her. With, with him, those feelings of fascination, that, that, that feeling that you could stay on the phone and talk forever. You hang up. No, you hang up. No, you hang up. It, it's, people think that if you have a wedding, that somehow that's going to make those feelings last forever. And those feelings don't last forever. Honestly, they come and go. They come and go. And when you said for better, for worse, you probably had some idea what better was going to be like, but you had no idea how much worse things could become. But now you know. Now you know. And now that you know, and now that you have learned, then let's uh, come back to God's word and talk about what it means to be married for worse, all right? The book of Malachi is where I want us to be. And I'm taking us to Malachi Because we will find in verse 16 of chapter 2, one of the most quoted verses when it comes to marriage and divorce that we have, but nobody ever reads the whole passage. We're going to read the whole passage today and figure out why it is that God hates divorce. It's because he loves marriage. 
Malachi chapter 2. We're going to start in verse 10. Malachi chapter 2, verse 10. Now, the prophet is going to start with a large societal problem, and notice he's going to narrow it right down to your marriage, okay? So we're going to start large, come very, very, very small. Are we not all children of the same father? Are we not all created by the same God? Then why do we betray each other, violating the covenant of our ancestors? Judah has been unfaithful, and a detestable thing has been done in Israel and in Jerusalem. The men of Judah have defiled the Lord's beloved sanctuary by marrying women who worship idols. May the Lord cut off from the nation of Israel every last man who has done this and yet brings an offering to the Lord of heaven's armies. Here's another thing you do. You cover the Lord's altar with tears, weeping and groaning because he pays no attention to your offerings and doesn't accept them with pleasure. You cry out, why doesn't the Lord accept my worship? I'll tell you why. Because the Lord witnessed the vows you and your wife made when you were young. But you have been unfaithful to her, though she remained your covenant partner, the wife of your marriage vows. Didn't the Lord make you one with your wife in body and spirit? You are his. And what does he want? Godly children from your union. So guard your heart. Remain loyal to the wife of your youth. For I hate divorce, says the Lord, the God of Israel. To divorce your wife is to overwhelm her with cruelty, says the Lord of heaven's army. So guard your heart. Do not be faithless with your wife. Guard your heart. Do not be faithless with your wife. Four-year-old Brandon was ring bearer at his aunt's wedding one Saturday. He stood on the stage with the little pillow and the little fake rings, and he just looked really serious or terrified the whole time. Have you, have you seen the little I mean, Keep your eye on the ring bearer. They're awesome. He just stood there really serious, like the entire wedding. People were a little bit worried about him. Was he going to cry? You know, he was just so serious. And, and he stayed that way through the whole reception. He sort of sat in a chair really serious. Didn't really eat the cake, the punch. He just sat there really sort of glum and serious. And by the time the reception was over, he fell asleep in the car. His mom and dad took him home and put him in the bed. So they had no chance to talk to him until the next morning at breakfast. And sure enough, he came down, sat in the chair in the kitchen. He still looked so serious, really serious. Finally, uh, mom and dad were trying to talk to him, trying to get him to, to talk. And finally, little boy just said, Dad, did I get married yesterday? <laughs> True story. Dad said, no, Brandon, you, you did not get married yesterday. And he said, then what was I doing up there? You know, a whole lot of people sort of, they they remember getting married. They have this recollection of being on the altar. But for the life of them now, they're not really sure what they did up there. So I want to bring you back to what you did up there. And Malachi chapter 2 is a really, really good place to help you understand what it is that happened to you. Now, weddings are amazing sort of affairs. Some of them are just full-blown dog and pony shows. You've been to them, and, and, and they're exciting. Every single wedding is beautiful. I, I, I love them. Some of them have lots of music. Some have lots of flowers. Some can have 19 trillion bridesmaids and every sort of color of the rainbow, flowers. I, I know some are very, very simple. 
Um, weddings are just as unique as the couples that put them together. But understand, every single wedding comes down to the very same thing, the heart of the wedding. Or actually, I'd say the wedding itself, the vows. Nothing else matters very much. And in premarital counseling, I try to help couples think carefully about the words that they will exchange because everything comes down to the promises that you make. At a wedding, you make promises. And way back in the day when you stood at the altar with your wife, your husband, you exchanged promises. You, you, you made vows. And the vows that you made are pretty much like the vows that everybody else makes. You may have written your own. You may have written a song, a country song, and sang it to her with your guitar. But one way or the other, the vows that you made are the same vows everybody else makes. You promised unconditional love in unforeseen circumstances. You promised unconditional love in unforeseen circumstances, for rich or for poor, I have no idea. I can't make any promises about how much money we will have or won't have. Sickness and in health, I can make no promises about how sick I could become, and you've never seen me after Mexican food. You understand? Sickness and health, I can make no promises about the circumstances of our life. The promise I make is I will love, honor, and cherish you. In other words, you make no promises about life, about the circumstances of life. Your promises have to do with what your spouse can expect out of you. That's what you promised. That's what you promised. Now, the amazing thing is out of Malachi chapter 2, you get this real sense of what your wedding, what your marriage, what those vows meant to God. And for some of us, this is going to come as a surprise. You really had no idea. No idea what marriage is. And some of us to this day, you really don't seem to understand what a marriage is. So before you begin to think about how unhappy you are, how miserable your marriage is, before you even think about throwing the thing away, let's come back to this passage and let's remember what marriage is. Now, I don't do this to put more pressure on you. I understand that for some of you, your marriage is really, really difficult. And I also recognize that right now, some of us are just thinking it through and wondering, if, if I walk out, if I give up on this marriage, will God understand? Will God understand how unhappy I am? Will God understand my pain? Wouldn't God just want me to be happy? Would God just not understand this marriage that I'm in? And I'm telling you, God fully understands the marriage you're in. God understands it better than you do, because not only does God know the past, God sees the future, and God knows what he's going to do. And this is what you have to understand. This marriage involves God. I mean, are you looking at this passage? Do you see this passage? God says something amazing. God says, I was there. I was there. That day that you stood at the altar, I was there, God said. I was there, and I heard your promises. I, I paid attention. You, you remember, I, I know it's sort of hard to think back, but you remember the pastor probably actually said, before God and these witnesses, you remember? Before God and these witnesses, I take you to be my wife. I mean, that's what he said, and that's what you said. It was before God. Now, you may have gone to Hawaii and, and y'all exchanged your vows in a grass skirt and those coconut braziers. I mean, I, I don't know, but I'm still telling you, God was there. God was there. And God took your promises very, very seriously. 
to the point where this is what you have to understand. Well, what is biblical marriage? What is marriage at all? It is this. It's a triangular covenant. Now, the language used here in Malachi is that covenant language. A covenant is an agreement. A covenant is sort of a a contract between two parties explaining their obligations and expected rewards from a relationship. In the Old Testament culture, it could have been a business relationship or it could have been a marriage. And in this case, we're talking about marriage, the obligations and expected rewards that come from a marriage. It's like an agreement. It's like a contract. But this one is triangular. Now, what do I mean by triangular? There are three sides to this thing. In other words, it's three partners. It's not one of those Mormon things. There are three partners in your wedding. Do you understand? In your marriage. It is your spouse and it is yourself, but it's also whom? Yeah, God. God, this is a triangular covenant. God is in this. God enters into the covenant with you. This is what the book of Malachi says. Why doesn't the Lord accept your worship? I'll tell you why. Because the Lord witnessed the vows you and your wife made when you were young, but you've been faithless to her, though she was your covenant partner. Didn't the Lord make you one with your spouse? Understand? The intentions come from you. The intention to live together and to keep these promises, those intentions come from you. But the power to make this marriage last, that comes from God. That's why you need a triangular covenant. That's why there are three partners in this marriage. It's you and it's your spouse and it's the Lord. And I'm telling you, the Lord is the most important partner in this thing. It's all up to him. Biblical marriage is a triangular covenant in which the wife and husband are primary partners with God, who is himself the source and guardian of the relationship. What do I mean by source? You were thinking it was Cupid that was the source, the little naked baby that, boom, shot an arrow in your heart that night. You were out there at Hooters or wherever you were, and you looked out across, and you saw that girl shining with all of her brilliance. I mean, you thought that it was fate or that y'all are just soulmates, but I'm telling you, God is the source of this. God is the source. It is God who brings you together. Didn't the preacher say that at the wedding? It's God who brings you together. He's the source. But not only was it his idea, God is the source of everything that's going to sustain this marriage. God's the source of love. Used to waiting for love to come out of that man. It's not in that man until that man knows the Lord. The love comes from God. The faithfulness comes from God. I made crazy promises to Casey Wilson 30 years ago. Casey, I didn't know what I was saying. Had no idea what I was saying. I didn't know. I mean, that day it was all good. I mean, we were going to, you know, eat punch and cake, lose all you people, and go to Cancun, Mexico for the honeymoon. I mean, that was as far as I was thinking, honeymoon. I mean, that's all. I was pretty excited. That's as far as I got. Man, I'd have promised anything. You know, I was, I'd have promised her anything to get her married in, in New Mexico. It got hard though, baby. It got really hard. It got so hard. Not Mexico. Mexico was awesome. It's we had to come back. <laughs> Life is hard. It's so hard. I'm just telling you, 
that, that faithfulness to keep those promises comes from God. It's not in me. It's, it's not in my wife. It's not in you or your wife either. It's to remain faithful to keep those promises, unconditional love. Who can do that? Well, there's only one. His name is Jesus. And that's why you need to make sure your marriage is focused on him. He, he is the most important partner in this thing because he is the source and guardian. He's the one that's going to keep it together. He will keep it together. I know the captain and Tennille told you that love would keep you together. That's a lie. That's a lie. In 20 years of being a pastor, I've presided over a lot of marriages. And unfortunately, I've presided over a lot of divorces. And I have yet, I have yet to see a couple divorced that did not say they loved each other. So it's not somehow falling out of love. That's not the point at all. They always say they love each other, but somehow that love is not sufficient to keep them together. There is something else needed. And I'm telling you, there's something else has to do with this triangular covenant. So, so right now, if your marriage is falling apart, it, it, it may have less to do with your relationship as husband and wife and a whole lot more to do with the husband's relationship to Christ or the wife's relationship to Christ. Maybe the brokenness begins because, because the brokenness is in your relationship with Christ. One way or another, somebody is not loving like Christ. Somebody is not still on the path of imitating Christ. You understand? This is the triangular covenant, and, and it is the Lord who is the source and guardian of your marriage. Now, Jesus himself, of course, refers to this when he speaks in Mark chapter 10, verse 7. Jesus is the one who says, for this reason, a man will leave his father and mother, and he will cling to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. Jesus is quoting the Old Testament when he says that. And then he goes on to say, for this reason, whatever God has joined together, what? Let no one separate. What God joins together, let no one separate. So understand, it is God's covenant. He's a partner in this marriage. He is the most important partner. And what I'm saying is, even though we as human beings, we forget our promises, God does not forget. God says, I was there, I heard, and I haven't forgotten. We forget God doesn't forget. We may be faithless, but God is faithful, always, always faithful. And we may let go, but God doesn't let go. Now, it's verse 16 where it says God hates divorce. I haven't talked to anybody in a difficult marriage who was co contemplating divorce who didn't say, Pastor Tim, I know that God hates divorce. See, see everybody knows that. Everybody knows what verse 16 says, but... It's important to keep verse 16 in the whole context. You need to understand why the Bible says that God hates divorce. Now, first off, go all the way back. Chapter 2, we started in verse 10. This whole passage is about a larger problem or, or maybe a root problem. And that problem I would call faithlessness. Faithlessness. Now, faithless is not the same as being unfaithful. When we're talking about marriage, unfaithful usually means cheating on your spouse. And I'm not saying that you've been unfaithful, but I am saying faithlessness is probably the issue in your marriage. Not that somebody's cheating, but that somebody has lost faith, faithless. Now, see it in its big context. Are we not all children of the same father? Verse 10, are we not all created by the same God? Then why are we faithless with each other? That's the Hebrew word. That's what Malachi says. Why 
Why are we faithless with each other, betraying each other, violating the covenant of our ancestors? So the prophet Malachi is speaking for God, and he's pointing to this large problem in society, this problem of faithlessness. Faithlessness. Nobody keeps covenants anymore, Malachi is saying. And and it is a, a symptom of a deep spiritual problem that in the culture, this ancient culture, People didn't keep covenant. In other words, they didn't keep their word. In society, nobody keeps promises to anybody. You can't count on what anybody says. People violate covenants of all kinds. Is that just a problem in the ancient world? No, that's the world we live in. It's a faithless generation. Understand how I'm using the word faithless. It means people don't keep faith with one another. I'm not saying they lose their religion. They, they simply don't keep their word. They don't honor commitments. They do not, they do not honor covenants. So the large problem in the culture that Malachi is preaching against is faithlessness. Nobody keeps their word. Nobody keeps promises. Now, honestly, this is the root of the problem, and it's the root of the problem of marriages in our church and in our culture. It's not so much that people don't love each other or don't know how to get married. The problem is that we live in this entire culture that does not value promise keeping, that does not value making a promise and keeping it even if it hurts. Now, in our church, if we want to really strengthen marriages, we need a wholesome marriage ministry. I'm not saying that we don't, but what we need more than anything else is an amazing children's ministry and an absolutely epic student ministry because we have to raise up young men and women to become men and women who are people of their word. We need to raise children so that they know how to make a promise and keep it even if it hurts. Our our culture trains people to make promises but leave their options open. If if I change my mind or if this doesn't turn out like I hoped, then I can make another choice. That's not life in covenant. That's not being a, a person after God's own heart. God is faithful to his word. We must learn to be faithful to our word. So it starts with this incredible faithlessness in the entire culture. And then he goes on another example. Verse 11, Judah's been faithless, and a detestable thing has been done. The men of Judah have defiled the Lord's beloved sanctuary by marrying women who worship idols. Now, he gets closer to marriage here, but but it's still a general problem with the fact that so many of, of God's people have married unbelievers. It's one of the problems that Malachi is preaching about. All of the men of Judah have gone and taken women who do not know God, do not honor God. And understand, if you do that, you just expect a world of hurt. Now, some of you are already in a marriage with an unbeliever, and we're going to get to that in a few weeks, a couple of messages down the line, so just give me some time. But right now, understand that the word from 1 Corinthians chapter 7 is if you are in a marriage with an unbeliever, don't leave them. Don't leave them. That's not an excuse to leave them. But let me just stop right here. If marriage is still a future choice for you, you're still single and you're still out there and you're dating and ladies, you know, all of that, then understand, you must not marry somebody who does not love and honor God. You must not marry somebody. You must not be unequally yoked with an unbeliever. You just don't do that. And the best way to make sure you don't do that is you don't date people who don't love and honor Jesus. There's no such thing as flirt and convert. It doesn't work. 
It doesn't work. And there are people in this house right now who could tell you sad stories. Flirt and convert does not work. The one that gets converted is you, and it goes the other direction. They will pull you away from the God that you love. I'm telling you, do not play with fire here. It's a detestable thing, the book of Malachi says. But then it goes on. Here's another thing you do, and this is when he goes right down to it. You cover the Lord's altar with tears, weeping and groaning because he pays no attention to your offerings. He doesn't accept them with pleasure. And you cry out, why doesn't the Lord accept my worship? I'll tell you why. It's because you've been faithless to the wife of your youth. Faithlessness, you understand? You broke your promises. You, you broke your promises. For I hate divorce, the Lord says in verse 16. Well, why does God hate divorce? Read the whole verse, which you never do. Do it now. I hate divorce, says the Lord, the God of Israel. To divorce your wife is to overwhelm her with cruelty. Why does God hate divorce? It's, it hurts people. God loves people. God loves you. God loves your husband. God help him. God loves your husband. And divorce hurts people. You don't understand, Pastor Tim. You don't understand the pain I'm in today. I think divorce will be better. No, no. What you don't understand is the divorce brings a pain all of its own. Again, people in this house could tell you the story. Divorce itself brings a whole new kind of pain into your life. Well, I think it will be better for my kids, Pastor Tim. Well, see, what you don't understand is what the children of divorce usually say. They tell a very different story. It would be a whole lot better if my kids didn't have to live in a house with this kind of arguing. Well, unless you and your husband are just absolutely crazy, you don't probably fight in front of the kids a whole lot. I mean, most of the time, the kids don't really have any idea what's going on up in mama and daddy world because they're down there living in kid world. That they don't really understand all of the adult things going on between mom and dad. That they're separated from that in a lot of ways. Now, I know that you're distracted. You don't feel like you're doing everything for your kids that, that you can. But for the most part, the children of divorce will tell you they really didn't know that much about what was going on. But what every single one of them remembers is the day. The day mom or dad sat them down and told them that the marriage was over, that daddy's moving out, they always remembered that day. It, it, it forever changes their life. Talk to some children of divorce. That day marks the day their life changed. Often kids of divorce spend a lot, a lot of time just wondering and dreaming about the day when mom and dad will come back together. You understand, when the scripture says... That the man will leave his father and mother and cling to his wife and the two become one flesh. Your children are the embodiment of that one flesh. And while you can separate, you can just take your stuff and divide up the furniture and you can fight over the dog and you can sell the house and you take half the money, he takes half the money. You can never separate, you can never separate the one flesh that is your children. You, you rip them in half. You, you can't take, you can't separate the mama and the daddy that, that, that's, that made your children understand that they are the one flesh. There's no clean separation of the children. It hurts people. God hates divorce because it hurts people. 
Now, in the passage here, it says it's to overwhelm your wife with cruelty. Understand, in the ancient day, it was always the men who divorced because the women had no, no societal privilege and no status in society to file for divorce or ask for it. So it was always the men, and they just threw the wives away. I mean, the rabbis actually got very, very lenient with Jewish divorce in the old days, and you could literally divorce your wife if she displeased you in any way. Literally, if she burned the toast at breakfast, you could put her out. And in those days, she can't just go get a job at Waffle House. You understand? A woman who is divorced is, is, is overwhelmed with cruelty. You have doomed her to poverty. You understand? And a life of incredible suffering. And God stands up for the women here and says, that's cruel. You don't do people that way. It hurts people. Now, our day, it's not quite that lopsided. There are a lot of men who are hurt and divorce as well. But the point is, it hurts people. Now, I know right now the pain of your marriage, you really want to end that, and you're thinking that divorce might be the best way to end that. I'm suggesting to you that divorce is probably not your answer. Divorce hurts people too. It's a whole other kind of pain that you haven't anticipated. Next thing, and this is the sort of beautiful thing. God hates divorce because he, he loves marriage. He, he loves marriage. Marriage is a beautiful thing. Now, it's not for everybody. Paul says in the New Testament, he wishes everybody would just stay single. He thought it would be a whole lot easier. And then half of you probably say amen right now. I mean, yeah, yeah. It's easier if you can be single. And that's what Paul says. I mean, Jesus was single. So obviously it's not that married people are, are somehow closer to God and not everybody's supposed to get married. That's what the Bible says. But for those of us for whom marriage is, is the path, it's a beautiful thing. Your marriage becomes one of the primary ways that God is going to pour blessings into your life. Your marriage becomes one of the primary ways that God is going to use to make you more like Christ. That, that process of sanctification, that process of making you learn to love like Jesus, all that's going to sort of unfold to a large degree in your marriage. Your marriage becomes the way that God's going to do so much of his work in your life. See, the Bible tells me to love other people more than I love myself. So God just dropped in my bed a woman. I'm going to wake up with her every day, breakfast, lunch, and supper. And I get to practice loving her more than I love myself. Understand? And that's what marriage is about. Learning to love. It's not about being in love and then just living in love for the rest of your life. No, 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 no. Love isn't what you have on the front end. Love is what you build together. And somewhere on the back end, you learn to begin to enjoy it. But it takes a while. And for the most part, some of us never, ever learn to love well because we can't get over ourselves. We can't get past the fact that we want to be taken care of. We want to be mothered instead of married. Understand? We want somebody to sort of rotate around us and take care of our needs. We want to be happy. And it's not about happiness. Marriage is not about happiness. It's about holiness. It's about becoming more like Christ, just like everything else in life. That's how God wants to bless your life. And, and this is where the passage comes down. The people are saying, what's wrong with our lives? Where is God? He doesn't seem to show up when we worship. He doesn't seem to accept our worship. Where is God? Why don't we feel his blessings flowing in and out of our lives? This is the problem in Malachi. What's wrong? Something's off. Something's off the track in our, in our lives. We don't really feel blessed anymore. It's, I mean, we, we work hard, but we don't seem to have anything. 
what's going on? And Malachi says, I'll tell you what's going on. It's a covenant problem. See, here's the bottom line. When you stop living as covenant partners, God's blessings cease to flow into and out of your marriage. God's the source of it, remember? He's the source of the blessings. He's the source of the love, the source of the faithfulness. It all comes from Him. And if you're not seeking Him together, then everything good in your marriage just begins to fall out of the bottom. You two don't have it in you. It's not about how much money you can make because you can have a whole lot of money and just continue to multiply misery. Money can buy a lot of misery. Understand? It's not about kids. It's not about pets. It's not about the house. It's not about any of these things. None of those things bring the happiness, the peace, the love that you're seeking in this marriage. All of those things come from God. And when you no longer honor that covenant with God, those blessings no longer flow in and out of your marriage. It's it's a covenant problem. When you stop living as covenant partners, God's blessings cease to flow into and out of your marriage. You you promise for better, for worse. You had no idea how much worse it could become. Maybe now some of you know. I just want to suggest to you, the problem may not be your relationship with your husband. That relationship matters, but it's not the priority. The priority, ma'am, is your relationship with your God. And sir, you may think that the problem is this woman. Maybe the problem is not the relationship with this woman. Maybe it's the problem is relationship with your God. I have seen a lot of marriages fail because a couple couldn't seem to make it work. I've seen marriages fail when couples worked really hard and and tried to make a home and make a nice house and all of that. Those marriages fail. I, I have never seen a marriage fail when you had two partners who were both seeking God above everything else. I've never seen it. Show me one. For husband and a wife seeking God above everything else, above each other, above the money, above the house, above the kids. A husband and wife chasing after Jesus with whole hearts. I've never seen one of those marriages fail. You show me one. It's, it's a triangular covenant, and God is the most important partner in this marriage. You have to seek him with your whole heart. So, will you give me three more Sundays? I know some of you today, this wasn't the sermon that you expected. You wanted a little more comfort in your pain. But but I'm telling you, before you expect God to understand your pain, before you say, I'm going to get this divorce, I hope God understands, I think it's important that before you expect God to understand you, you need to try to understand God, understand your marriage from God's perspective. You might be the one who lacks understanding God understands it fully. And I know from this particular moment in your journey, this long journey of marriage seems overwhelming to you. It it just seems impossible to put this back together, to find happiness together. It just seems like something that will never, ever happen. So right now, I'm just going to ask you to to, to be patient. I'm going to ask you to stop looking all the way down the road and how hard it's going to be. I just want you to think about the very next step. 
and then the next step. I want you to understand that you're going to make it. Your marriage can make it. You're wanting to cancel it now. You're wanting out. If you do that, you might miss whatever it is that God wants to do here. See, the thing is, in marriage, people let go. But God doesn't let go. So why don't you wait and see what happens to this marriage when you leave it in his hands? He is faithful. Trust him. Let's pray. God, we are faithless people. We make promises and then we look for loopholes, Lord. We, we try to worm our way out of things when it gets very, very difficult. And Lord, today there are people in the sound of my voice who are trapped in very, very unhappy marriages, Lord. There are women who have married men who are emotionally unavailable to them, Lord. And the loneliness in marriage is absolutely crushing, Lord, there are men in this house, Lord, men in the sound of my voice who continue every single day to just try to reach that woman that, 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 that is their wife, Lord, and that woman simply will not be reached. Lord, there are couples in this house, Lord, who continue to stay together for the sake of the kids. And Lord, the kids are a pretty good reason to stay together, Lord. But I pray that rather than keep the kids at the center of the marriage, they will learn to put you, O oh Christ, at the center of their marriage. Lord, kids won't keep us together, not forever, Lord, but you, oh, Lord Jesus, you keep us together. Lord, I pray for couples now that are standing in the ruins of broken promises, Lord, the, 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 the ruins of their own faithlessness. But I pray, Lord Jesus, that you would show yourself faithful in their lives and restore, Lord, the faith, hope, and love that they need, that they might not quit, Lord, before they see what you're going to do next. Lord, the bottom line is we need you. We all need you. Husbands need you. Wives need you. Suffering children need you, Lord Jesus. Our families need you. So, Lord Jesus, may we take our eyes off of all that is wrong with our marriage and all that is wrong with our spouse and all that is wrong, Lord, with our family. And may we not fix our eyes on you, Lord Jesus, because there is nothing wrong with you. You are the perfect one. You are the source of love and faith and hope and everything else that we need. Fix our eyes on you, Lord Jesus, that you might fix everything broken in our lives. We pray these things in Jesus' name, but for the sake of our lives, for the sake of our families. Amen.